singing again in this evening hour. We turn in God's Word tonight to the Gospel according to John, the 11th chapter. John chapter 11. We leave behind those whose names begin with that letter K and begin those uh, whose names in Scripture begin with the letter L. Tonight, uh, we're drawn to John chapter 11 and to the account of a man called Lazarus. John chapter 11. Beginning to read at verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he who you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was talking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? Some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? And Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. As far as the reading of God's word. Let's ask for God's blessing upon it. Our Father in heaven, Lord, as we read this familiar story of Lazarus, there is so much in here, so much of parallels for us, of unbelief, of belief, of Jesus' love, that so much that he wept. And Lord, be with Pastor Bob as he preaches about this text. For Lord, it is dear to our hearts. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to look at three things as we go through this passage this evening. First of all, the missing background. Secondly, the life story. And thirdly, the continual reminder. For one only has to hear the name Lazarus. And for any believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a continual ongoing reminder of that which is taking place in this gospel account of John chapter 11. But first of all, some missing background. It's rather interesting that Lazarus, indeed, even Mary and Martha, just sort of appear on the scene. There is no parentage listed. So as far as background, we don't know who Lazarus's parents were. That's missing. That's not given to us. There's no lineage, no wife, no children. All that we're told is that Lazarus, this man, has two sisters. Did he have a, a wife? Scripture doesn't say one way or another. Does he have children? Scripture doesn't say. It's silent. It's, that, that information is not given to us. Secondly, there is no livelihood mentioned. We don't know what Lazarus did for a living. What was his occupation? The family seems to be a family of some wealth. They seem to have some funds. In uh, the next chapter, we would read that which we read about at the beginning of chapter 11, that Mary, his sister, is going to pour this very expensive perfume upon Jesus' feet. 
that Judas uses the occasion to become indignant and so on. But, but we know it was expensive. And so to have the funds available means the family was of some wealth, was, was Lazarus of some wealth? We don't know. We don't know. There is a lot about this man that Scripture simply doesn't tell us. So his parents are missing, his livelihood is missing, his age. When you read this story and you read this account, my assumption is that probably most of us come to the same conclusion. Oh, he's probably about the age of Jesus. He's probably about 30. Now, the question would be, why do we come to that association? Well, probably there was a Sunday school paper, and it looked like that's about what he was, so we just figured that's what he was, right? But we don't know. Now, part of the story, part of the account is that he dies, and uh, yet... And it sort of leaves you with the idea that this might be an untimely death as far as age is concerned, but nothing really is said about that. No, nothing is said. He, Lord, he's just a young man. Uh, Lord, why did he die? We don't know. Maybe Lazarus is 75 years old. Maybe he's only 20. We don't know. Scripture just does not inform us of the age that Lazarus is. It's, it's some of that missing information. It's also a reminder to us to be careful about assuming things that Scripture does not tell us. For example, his home. All that we know is that Lazarus lived in Bethany. My guess is, if I ask you this question do Mary, Martha, and Lazarus live together? Most of you would say yes. That would be your answer. Okay? My question would be, why do you believe that? What is there in the Bible text that leads you to the conclusion that the three of these people live in the same home? Well, let me give you an argument at least to think about it differently. Let's take uh, God's Word. Let's go back to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, where we have the account where we first delve into this family. Luke chapter 10, we're going to be at verse 38. And it's the little squabble, you know, that happens between... Mary and Martha. By the way, did you notice later on in this passage how the roles were reversed? It's Martha who goes, seeks Jesus, and Mary is the one who stays. Okay? In the account that you have in Luke, it's Martha who is busy with the affairs of the home, and Mary is the one who is seeking Jesus. Just kind of an interesting change. But look at verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into what? Their house? Did she welcome them into Lazarus's home? Whose home? Hers. It's possessive. It belongs to her. Now that raises a whole bunch of questions about how did how how come this woman has has a house? 
We don't know. But it's interesting, there's no mention of Lazarus here. He doesn't even seem to be there at this occasion. Now go back to our text, John chapter 11. Isn't it interesting how John introduces Lazarus into the story? Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village where Mary and her of the village of Mary and her sister Martha. That seems like a strange way to introduce Lazarus if he lives in their house. Why wouldn't the text just tell us then simply who lived with Mary and Martha? Simple story. But that's not what the text tells you. So the text is telling you, the scriptures are saying, Martha owns a home where she and Mary live. Somewhere else in the village, their brother Lazarus lives. How big was his home? You don't know. Does Jesus ever go to the, his home? We're never told. There's so much missing information. And the reason for that is because the Lord wants us to center on his life story. The Lord wants us to center on these, really, two chapters of Scripture. You know, the, the is it the alt shamat folks now in the funeral business are, are the life story people? Okay, probably many of you have been to a, a funeral there, and one of the things you get is you get this little packet and this little story about, about their life, where they lived and their jobs and so on and so forth. You know, some of them are kind of, eh, you kind of wonder about how they're put together sometimes because, you know, then, then, he, then she met so-and-so, the love of her life and so on. And sometimes I wonder if that was really ever spoken by her, okay? type of thing. But we know the life story. And they're trying to tell you everything about their life, from their birth to their death. Well, Scripture is giving to you in John chapter 11, Lazarus's life story. And the life story is keyed on two words, life and death. And how those two words continue to interplay back and forth. So we have four statements. Here are the four statements. Number one, this is the life story of Lazarus that Scripture gives to you and I. First, he lived and then he died. A certain man. There's a certain man in Bethany by the name of Lazarus. All it's telling us, it's not telling us anything else about him other than the fact that he lived. There was this man called Lazarus who lived. He was born. He had family. He had mother and father. We also know that he is a man who died. That's what the account of John chapter 11 is telling us. He dies because of an illness. We know the reason for his death, okay, the cause, I guess we would say, of his death is an illness. What is the illness? Scripture doesn't tell us. 
Scripture doesn't say, did he have some form of cancer? Did he have some form of heart disease? Did he have diabetes? We don't know. He got an illness. He suffers with it for a period of time. Sounds like a short period of time. And from that illness is the cause of his physical death. He died. But there are some interesting things that Jesus tells us about that, isn't there? At the beginning of chapter 11, Jesus tells us in verse 4, when he first hears about this death, he says this illness does not lead to death. The illness is for the glory of God and so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Later on, he tells the, direction, the disciples plainly, verse 14, Lazarus has died. So one, Jesus, in the first case, Jesus is talking about, this is not an illness that is going to separate him from the love of God. This is not an illness that is the result of or will result in eternal death. Later on, Jesus is talking physically. Lazarus has fallen asleep. I go to awaken him. Now you can imagine, you know, part of this is, is so silly, right? He's fallen asleep and I go to awaken him. And the disciples are saying, why do we have to travel for two days to wake up a guy from a nap? That's really what they're asking. He's going to wake up. If he's just sleeping, Lord, he's going to wake up. Why do we have to travel? Especially, why do we have to travel into the danger zone? Why do we have to put our lives back in danger? Lord, they just tried to stone you. They just tried to kill you there. Now you're going to go back just to nudge a guy and wake him up from his nap? No, Lazarus is dead. Then you have Thomas's great optimism, right? Well, let's go along and die with him. Basically saying this is a foolish adventure. Nothing good is going to come of this. And we're all going to end up dead. They're not only going to kill Jesus, they're going to kill us all. The story of Lazarus is the story of a man who lived and then died. And the reason he dies, we know the cause is illness. The reason he dies is for the glory of God. So that the Son of Man... Jesus himself can be glorified in this man's illness and death. Second statement. He died and then he lived. We know he is dead. The text keeps telling us he's dead. He's been dead for four days. He's been dead so long that in the climate of that day, his body is beginning to decompose already. It is beginning to rot. It is beginning to stink. Somewhat of a comparison, although not fully, somewhat of a comparison. You ever see a fresh kill 
roadkill. Go there four days later, bend over, take a good sniff. Lord, he stinketh by now. The man is dead. Scripture confirms it over and over. The Jews who are there at the house, he's dead. They're there grieving. Why? Because he's dead. Jesus has said it. He's dead. Lazarus is a man who has died. He's been buried. In fact, don't you find it rather interesting? The way in which Lazarus is buried. Buried in a cave. There's a big stone in front of the cave. And Jesus wept. Now, I would agree with most of us who would probably say, well, Jesus apparently is weeping out of his love okay, for Lazarus. The only problem I have with that is that kind of comes out of the mouth of the Jews who are not believers at this point in stage. So they're saying, oh, see how he weeps? He's weeping because he loved Lazarus. Has the thought ever occurred to you that perhaps it's the sight of this tomb that is going to be very similar to where Jesus is going to be? The sight of a large stone rolled in front is simply the reminder to him of that which lies in front of him. He weeps. He weeps over the necessity of a tomb. He weeps over the necessity of his death for man's sin. The Jews are on this human level, this horizontal plane of evaluating. What's Jesus? Oh, he's weeping. Oh, see how he loved Lazarus. Now, there's no doubt he did. But maybe the weeping is not so much about Lazarus. He knows what he's going to do. It's not like Jesus has lost his omniscience for a few moments and goes, man, poor guy, he's dead. I just don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know what's going to happen in the next minute. I don't know that in the next minute I'm going to call him forth from the tomb and he's going to come. I don't know. Of course Jesus knows that. So perhaps the weeping is not so much about a physical, human, horizontal relationship as much as he is weeping over the fact of knowing that death, spiritual death, separation between himself and his father is coming. And that separation, that spiritual separation, is the cause of his weeping. He died. But then, he lives. We read the text. Jesus, with a loud voice, calls, Lazarus, come out. And then the man, the man who had died, came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Oh, all some foreshadowing, isn't it? That which is going to take place in the life of Jesus. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now, why do you say that? Because the man is alive. 
Jesus has caused a man who is dead, physically dead, to come to life. By the mere utterance of the words, Lazarus, come forth. Oh, I know there's a lot of questions. So if Lazarus has been dead for four days, where was Lazarus for four days? It's interesting that Scripture closes this man's mouth. Do you know Lazarus doesn't utter a word in all of Scripture? He's probably one of the guys in Scripture that, that becomes one of the most famous characters as far as Jesus' miracles are concerned. And there is not one word that is attested to Lazarus. You know, we never read, and Lazarus gathered with the Pharisees and explained to them the four-day journey he had between his physical death and the resurrection Jesus brought. And he talked about visions of heaven and glory. There is not a word. There is a mouth that is sealed shut. Nothing given. Nothing even hinted at. There's nothing even that, you know, it's not necessarily a verbal quote. There, there's nothing even hinted at from the mouth of Lazarus. And Lazarus explained to them various things about death. It's not even there. So all we'd have at this point is conjecture. What happened to Lazarus for the four days? Scripture doesn't tell us. We better not venture there close case. But he's a man who was dead. He's now alive. So alive. So alive, as a matter of fact, that in the next chapter there is a big party. He is the guest of honor. Everybody wants to see the resurrected man. Everybody wants to see this great miracle that has occurred. And many... Many, we are told in chapter 12, came to faith in Jesus because of Lazarus' resurrection. He doesn't have to speak a word. He is a living testimony of the word. He is a living, walking, breathing testimony of Jesus Christ. So great is the impact of Lazarus that when the decision is made by the chief priest, we need to get rid of Jesus. They also said, we need to get rid of the evidence. Lazarus. And a death sentence is put on the head of Lazarus. Here's the interesting side note. From that moment on, he is not mentioned. So it leaves us with the question, here's a dead man who becomes alive, but he's a wanted man now. He's a man who faces persecution. He's a man who faces a death sentence because he is alive. When he was dead, nobody cared, but now that he's alive, the religious authorities want him dead because he's the evidence that is bringing people to Jesus. 
seat on the outline. Third statement. He lived, but then he died. The guy is raised to life. He lives, but ultimately Lazarus is going to die. How many years? We don't know. How long? How many years? How many months? How many weeks? We don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But we do know this. Lazarus died. He died a second time. He died a second physical death. Why? Because Scripture says it is appointed unto all men to die and to face the judgment. So we can go backwards and we can conclude from that statement of Scripture that in the first death of Lazarus, from the illness, he never faced the judgment. So perhaps there was never a separation then between his soul and body, which is what takes place at death. Here, all we have is Scripture. It is appointed unto man once to die and to face the judgment. Not just appointed unto man once to die. That would be the contradiction. It is appointed unto man once to die and then to face death. So we know from Scripture's testimony, Lazarus gets some more years, some more time. The time is spent under a death watch, under a death sentence of the Jewish religious leaders. He's a living, walking, breathing witness of Jesus Christ. The rest of his life is lived in silence as far as what else happened. But we can also say this. He also died, but he also lives. The text indicates to us of the fact that Jesus' love for Mary and Martha and Lazarus is a love that extends beyond a human interaction. This is not a love for companions. This is not a love for a friend. The love that is being spoken of here is the deep-seated love of Christ. Jesus loves Lazarus. There is nothing that is going to separate Lazarus from the love of God in Jesus Christ. This is the saving love of Christ. See, why does Scripture tell us this? Why does Scripture say, and he loved Lazarus? The popular variance of our day would be, well, Jesus loves everybody. Why even point it out then? Do you see, that isn't true. That's a false statement of our society. Jesus loves those who are his. Those who belong to to him, those for whom he died, those who by faith come to receive him as their Lord and Savior. It is on that cross that Jesus loved you and I. And we can say that with assurance. Why? Because we know that he is our Lord. We know that he is our Savior. How do we know that? Because of the work of the Spirit that is within us. Jesus Loved 
Lazarus. So even though Lazarus dies a second physical death, we can say that Lazarus now lives. He lives in glory. Someday when you and I pass from this life into glory, we shall meet Lazarus. He'll be there. Why? Because Jesus loved him. Why will you and I someday be in glory? Because Jesus loved us enough to die for us. See, there, there is so much in this man's life story, isn't there? It is an incredible thing what, what the Lord is packing into these couple of chapters. All the missing information. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. But let me tell you his life story. Let me tell you the real thing. See, and there, there's a part of me that thinks perhaps what the Lord is doing in this chapter with Lazarus is he's really telling our story. We too are those who live but are dead. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. We too are those who in our deadness have become alive. We've become alive in the new life that we've been granted in Jesus Christ. But even though we are alive, we shall physically die unless Christ tarries. We shall die. That's pretty much the reality of life. But even though we die, we shall live. The account of Lazarus is not much different. In fact, it's no different, really, than our life. That's what stands out about this man's story. We look at this and go, wow, look at what Jesus did. You know what people ought to be doing? You ought to be looking at your life and my life and saying, wow, look at what Jesus did. See, we are no less a miracle than Lazarus. No less. What was it that the Jews were angry about? They were angry because Lazarus' existence was evidence of Jesus Christ's truth. Why is it that a Muslim cleric wants to kill somebody who comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Because he's evidence. We need to get rid of the evidence. We need to have a death sentence on that head. Why is it that the world hates us? Because we're evidence of the reality of Jesus Christ. We're evidence of the truth. So let's close with looking at three things that are a continual reminder from this passage. One, this story obviously reminds us of the power of Jesus Christ. This, this goes beyond blind people seeing, doesn't it? This goes beyond deaf people hearing. 
This goes beyond some bread being multiplied in fish as well. This is even beyond calming of the sea. There is so much power in this account. So much control. Jesus waiting, taking his time, so that Lazarus died in order that the glory, the power of God, the glory of himself might be on full display. Lazarus, come forth. And a man who was dead walks out of the tomb. Secondly, the account of Lazarus in the pages of Scripture is not only a reminder of Jesus' power, secondly, it's a reminder of Jesus' teaching. You can't cover the story of Lazarus without coming back to those words that Jesus speaks to Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall never die but live. Do you believe? What an amazing teaching, isn't it? It's life-changing. Every word of Jesus is important. Every word of Jesus has great and deep impact. But these words of Jesus, I am the resurrection and the life. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 basically builds a whole chapter on the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So much of saying that, look, it is, it is this teaching of Jesus as the one who is the resurrection becomes the core, the centrality of our faith. Do you believe? That's who I am. Clear, direct teaching of Jesus Christ in that 25th verse. But thirdly, as we come to this story, this account, not only his power, not only his teaching, but also the victory. Jesus has spoken many times previous to this account in the other Gospels. I just call your attention, for example, to Luke chapter 9, verse 22, where Jesus has spoken about the fact that, yes, we're going to Jerusalem. Yes, I'm going to die. Exactly what the disciples fear. Exactly what Thomas is all about. He's going to go there. He's going to die. Yep, Jesus has said that. I am going to Jerusalem and I will die there. I will suffer at the hands of men. But on the third day, on the third day, I will rise again. See, it's something to stand in front of a tomb to call forth a man. Lazarus, come forth. And the man walks out of the tomb. It is another thing, is it not, brother and sister in Christ, to be the one who is indeed dead, buried in that tomb, buried behind the stone, but yet emerge with no grave clothes, with no face cloth, to stand in victory, over sin and death and hell and the grave. Not to have somebody to cause that, 
but that you yourself are raised on the third day. You see, the story of Lazarus soon fades into the distance. And maybe that's the reason Lazarus' account is not perpetuated and kept. The Jews, you see, have more to deal with now. It's not a man performing a miracle. Now it is the miracle itself. Now it is the one who is indeed the resurrection and the life. Now it is indeed the one who has gained the victory. Thanks be to God. He gives us that victory. His victory. A victory that comes to us through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God's people say, Amen. Father, thank you for your word. For a man, a certain man, called Lazarus in the town of Bethany. We know so little about him. Yet, Lord, what you have given to us is life-changing. What you have given to us is evidence beyond the shadow of a doubt of the power of Jesus Christ. What you have given to us in the account of this man is teaching, teaching so central, so focused, so impacting. What we have in this account is a picture of our own victory through Jesus Christ. The one who himself conquered the grave. Oh, glorious victory that overcomes the world. In Christ's name, God's people say again, Amen. Let's stand.